Hello, and welcome to an episode, another one, in fact, of Marriage on a Tightrope. I'm Alan. I'm Katie. And we're still married. Katie, last night happened. Last night happened, and last night was awesome. It was. We had uh, our first meetup since before COVID. The one that we've hosted. We did the post-Mormon uh, group down in St. George, uh, but we were not hosting that. We hosted this one. We, we should we say didn't that really host it. we should say that we did not really host it. Brian hosted it. Brian hosted it at Alianza in um, Pleasant Grove. Beautiful Pleasant Grove. Okay, the building was beautiful. It was just the perfect venue. There was tons of seating available and lots of space to like mingle and. I was pleasantly surprised to see both people we knew, but lots of new faces. Yeah, lots of new faces. We had somewhere between probably 70 and 80 people come, Mm -hmm. which was awesome to see. And, you know, a few people would introduce themselves and they've been in it for six months or for a year. And so it just is a reminder to us that, again, there's and to all of you that there are people constantly and continually entering this space for better or worse. That is the reality uh, which I think it gives us some motivation to to keep telling stories and to allow wonderful people like Matt and Laura Hunter, who you're about to hear in a two-part series about their story as well. Before we get to that, we wanted to uh, make a couple of announcements. Number one. So, number one. The first one is that we are going to be having a women's retreat. Yay! And we have um, a beautiful venue, thanks to Brian. Uh, we are going to be using his fifth floor, beautiful building. Um, and that's in Pleasant Grove, Utah. So I will get more information out to you. It is going to be, it'll be amazing. It'll be everything you wanted and more. I shouldn't promise that, right? <laughs> it will change your life. It'll, but it, this is going to be for anyone, anyone. It can be, well, it'll be for wives. <laughs> so active believing members, nuanced, anyone that's in between, people who are post-Mormon, but are in a mixed faith marriage, this is for you. So hopefully the content we provide, the activities we provide will allow you to one, meet other people. I think that everyone needs community. That's why, that's why couples come to these events, uh, like last night is they want to meet other people who live by them and they want to make friends. And that's not easy to do in any setting other than this one where you're in a room full of people that are just like you. So that's one of the main goals of the women's retreat is for people to meet each other and get to know one another and feel like there's community there. But also, of course, is um, the emotional well-being and we'll we'll go through all of that. Um, again, I will announce um, the lineup, if you will, of what we will be doing, but put it on your calendar. I know people have already told me that they're coming from out of town, like out of state to come to this. And so there are going to be a limit, limited number of spots. We are going to try and make it as cost effective as possible. Um, luckily, we do have a venue, but uh, we're going to just, we want to make it so that everyone can come. So I'm excited. I'm excited for you. And then, uh, Alan, what are we doing on November 14th? On November 14th, we've been asked to present at Thrive, which is a predominantly post-Mormon event for those that have um, either left or are leaving uh, the church. 
and we've been asked to present a 15-minute, very concise, from the main stage, which is a little nerve-wracking. There's like 2,000 people at this event about uh, how to maintain and even strengthen relationships with those who still believe. That is the topic of our conversation. This will be like a TED Talk. Not a whole lot of spitballing back and forth, right, Alan? That's right. It's going to be very scripted, which... I'm not, not good at. <laughs> well, he's just not used to being scripted, is just, what I would say. You can't hold me down with no script. <laughs> well, but we are excited to do that. Uh, we'd love to see you if you'd like to come. Uh, Katie, how would you feel about if you're a believer and you're thinking, oh, maybe I should come, maybe I should come? What do you think? Okay, so... Viewer discretion is advised. Viewer discretion is advised. If you are brand new to this and you are the active believing member... I would probably say that you could pass on this one. If you're going to go and you're going to support your post-Mormon spouse, then you could totally try it. I will tell you that uh, I have been to Thrive, the main group one, a couple years ago, and it was a little awkward for me. It was a lot awkward for me. I'm not going to lie. It was awkward for me, uh, but people were so nice. It's not that I didn't love seeing people and talking to people. It's just that some of the things that were were said were hard for me. I think, though, that uh, Thrive is trying to move in a direction of how to thrive after Mormonism, hence the Thrive, but really not focus on the why people left, but focus on the, um, I don't know, the recovery from it yeah. and how to rebuild whatever type of faith or whatever type of um, thing that you want to move on to. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. I think even if kind, loving language is used, the, the audience that the messages are built for are those that have left. And that can be uncomfortable, knowing that you're not the, the target audience. And some of the things that are said, even if they're not, even if they're said in love, can be difficult when you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm the minority in this room. Sure. So it's like more. It's like sacrament meeting for it's, me. It's reverse sacrament. It's reverse reverse sacrament <laughs> meeting. That's right. So uh, if you would, if you want to come to that, and you just don't feel comfortable or whatever, like please reach out. We're Alan and I will most likely, if we're not on stage, we'll probably be be in the hall because what usually happens is. We get caught up in conversation when people see us and want to talk to us and everything. They've offered us a booth uh, to be able to be at when we're not in the main room during lunch breaks and whatnot so that we can meet people. I think that would be good. We don't have like handouts or anything that we advertise. (laughs) Maybe we need to step up our merch game. (laughs) Oh, Alan, (gasps) we could totally totally sell like t-shirts or like... Bumper stickers or something. Hold on. Because people on. really love advertising the state of their marriage. Hold on. <laughs> but it could, the tagline could be dot, 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 and we're still married. Uh-oh. Come on. Okay. Who out there is mer- merchandise and who can slap that We just that need to design that. Let's just us. go on to Fiverr. We're going to figure this out. And to be and honest. we're still married. That would be awesome. That would be a dot, uh, ellipses. Dot, dot, dot. We're still married. And we're still married. That's good. We will also be honest that uh, we are jumping on week three of our six-week course with Natasha Helfer and 25 couples in about 100 seconds. So, so we've got to oh, go. Yeah. We've got we to go. We've got to go. Oh, can I give one last teaser? Okay, sure. Okay. This is super hush-hush, so don't tell anybody. All right, everybody. We had a call 
with Mr. David Osler, who wrote the book Bridges. And he is asking if we would be willing to help him. You're talking in a quiet voice. I know. It's it's suspenseful. It's a secret. Okay. It's a secret. He asked us if we'd be willing to help him write a chapter for Bridges, the second edition on mixed faith marriage. And this would be the only uh, addition to the, to the section or to the, to the, excuse me, the only addition to this um, edition of the book. So he's making a second edition because he feels like he, he missed out on a huge group of people. All of y'all who are listening, we're super excited to help him with that. More details to come. It should be done in just a few months. Yay. Woo! Okay. With that, here is our interview with Matt and Laura. And now we are joined by Laura and Matt Hunter. Welcome to Marriage on a Tightrope. Thank you. Yay. We're excited to be here with you. Yeah, I know. It's it's. This is one of those. We're excited to be here. We're not terribly excited. We're in this situation, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, Katie, I love the question that you ask a lot of couples right when we get started. The why in the world question. Yes. Why <laughs> in the world did you want to come on the podcast and tell your story? You want me to answer that? Yeah. I think, um, yeah, finding... Your podcast was super kind of life-changing for us. It was incredibly helpful. And I felt so alone for the last year. Just anything that I can do or we can do to help others know they're not alone. And I think we're a little different, I think. I don't know. Everyone's different. Nobody's the same. But I just thought if there's someone else who's had a similar background to me that I just wanted to be able to connect with people and help them to not feel alone. Yeah, probably a little different perspective with our story, hopefully. So. Well, that's a good teaser. I'm interested <laughs> to know about the background. Thankfully, we start with the background. So, yeah. uh, you know, we, we, we're excited. This, this time is yours. We're, Katie and I, some of the, the couples that we interview, we know ahead of time, whether they've taken the course with us for six weeks, like our last interview with Tara and Tyler. Or like you, Matt and Laura, that we we don't know your story yet. And so we learn with with the audience. Uh, and we're really looking forward to it. So thank you once again for being brave to be here. And go Cowboys, I'm pretty sure, Matt, right? Correct. That's Got right. Correct. Yeah. Dak, Dak Prescott. And yeah. that's all I can do. So there you go. <laughs> that's all you need. That's all you need. That's all you need. We're great. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, hey, let's uh, let's dive right into it and talk a little bit about uh, your your upbringing. Now, I understand that usually we hear about what is your background with the church and your upbringing, uh, but Laura, you let us know that you are a convert to the church and you joined the church in college. Am I correct? That's right. Yeah. Great. Well, let, let's start with you and talk about your upbringing out of the church. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Dallas. Um, well, Dallas area. I was born in Dallas and my mom, my dad, I have one sister and, um, we were very Christian family. We, I, I started, spent the first like 10 years or so of my life in a church of Christ, which is, um, I'm not sure how familiar y'all are, but like the Southern church of Christ is kind of from a restorationist sect. So, um, they were sort of trying to recreate the primitive church, if you will. So um, I would say on the branch of, if there's like a tree of, you know, 
Christianity. It's on the like far right conservative branch, like <laughs> as far as you can get. And there's definitely a wide spectrum of those. So I, we went to that church. Um, and so like to give you some examples, it's like, if you don't find it in the New Testament, it's not part of the theology. So there were like, you couldn't use instrumental music at all because there's no mention of instruments in the New Testament. So everything was acapella and um, any like special musical numbers or singers that had to be from like the back of the like chapel area because you couldn't be looking at the people. Um, and whoa, so just the- I'm, I'm so confused. You can't look at the people singing. Right. Yeah. They had to be in the back of the auditorium chapel sanctuary it be a performance right it couldn't be a, considered a performance in any way so and, they, and that's because performing isn't mentioned in the i know that this this is not a deconstruct the church that you grew up in right. podcast but just super interesting it's interesting yeah yeah it is kind of fascinating right so i don't totally understand why that was you know but i don't totally understand everything in the lds church either so what are you going to do right <laughs> I, I don't really know exactly why that was a um, a thing, if you will, but, um, it was just part of, part of the church culture. And we were super active in that, if you will, that wasn't a word that you would use in that culture. But, um, so my dad originally was, you know, going to school to be a preacher and he changed his trajectory and was studying math and stuff. And so that wasn't where things ended up for him. But like when I was in late, childhood we did something called bible bowl so like all of the churches of christ in the area would get together and compete and the teenagers would like do like jeopardy like quizzes on bible trivia and knowledge and stuff nice (laughs) um maybe that's why we should probably just tell you i'm i'm kind of an intense person and i maybe that's why (laughs) (laughs) i don't know (laughs) everything is just kind of a lot for me i'm a little bit extreme so i don't know if that's if that experience spiritually and just emotionally, I think kind of affected me that way. So then we, I I think we kind of changed churches and my dad went to like the most liberal church of Christ he could find. And when I, I mean, I think more liberal with regards to theology is what I mean. And we went there and they kind of started out as like the same thing. Uh, with regard to Church of Christ theology, but I don't know if the church went through like a faith crisis or something itself, but it just totally changed. Like we started there and there was no instrumental music. And then I remember like we did the Christmas pageant one year and they wheeled in a piano and it being like a really big deal. Like everyone was like super excited. There was a piano there. And um, by the time I was in late middle school, we had like a full band with drums and there were people like, um, just kind of like jumping up in the middle of the services, like speaking in tongues and no like interpreter or anything, just kind of mm. interesting stuff happening. Um, yeah. And then they just kind of started bringing in like different sorts of teachers and things. And one, um, when I was about 13, I want to say, uh, no, I must have been a little older, but anyway. There was a youth meeting that we attended and they brought in this female teacher who we'd never met before. And she, um, yeah, she exercised the demon out of me, which was weird. So. Oh, good. <laughs> I mean, that's a good thing. 
And this was, I mean, thankfully before she met you, right, man? I mean, you had to get that demon out first. Yeah. How did they yeah. do that? How does that, how did that work? And how did that make you feel both then and now? Yeah, it was really interesting. So our, my parents were separated at the time and going through a divorce. And my sister and I were at the meeting and we're, we're just really struggling emotionally with that, I think. And, um, and she just had some super crazy teachings she was sharing and then decided that our emotional sadness was due to a demon. And she, you know, like laid her hands on us and said a super intense, crazy prayer. There was a little like talking in tongues happening and I felt really frightened. Um, but it was kind of a spiritual environment, a church environment where like they sort of valued displays of spirituality, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I remember being really frightened. And then after it was over, there were people like almost like congratulating me or like, wow, that was so cool. Like after, and I've always been kind of, um, uh, unfortunately sort of influenced by like external validation so I was like oh maybe this was cool you know I was like 13 maybe 14 at the time and I was like oh I guess maybe this was a good thing I remember like our youth pastor kind of like hugging me and being like wow that was so amazing and then we went home and talked to my mom and um and I still remember the look on her face and she was like oh my goodness like I I was like this thing happened and it was so weird and like almost kind of like excited, like weird feeling. And so my mom was like, Oh, I don't know about this. And that was about the time that she was like, okay, we need to find a new church. There was just like no sort of structure, I guess, if you will, which will come back around to, to change things. So do you want to talk about your childhood a little bit before I keep going? I'm like, why don't you talk about? And before we pass over to Matt, you know, looking, looking back, uh, Laura, in, in your upbringing, you, you changed the church, changed churches a couple of times. O- overall, what, how would you say your, your religious upbringing was for you qualitatively? Like, was it a overall positive influence in your life? Did you feel like it was traumatizing or, you know, what was it? What would you, uh, to kind of define it as? Um, I think that, so my mom is like amazing and, um, was deeply spiritual in our home. And, um, I felt like I had a very deeply spiritual upbringing. Um, while I did have some strange experiences, I felt really connected to Christ, like, um, to Jesus during that time. And I, I felt like I, knew him and I loved God. Like I loved all of it, but it was just my life. So it seemed, it didn't seem abnormal at the time to me, those, those parts of it. And there, you know, I'm telling you like the odd things because (laughs) there was a lot of like wonderful and good to it. I love the hymns that we sing. And I love, um, I think I, I remember like feeling the Holy spirit at like three. I I really do. Like my mom is a singer and, um, and she would sing hymns all the time. And I definitely feel like I learned, um, a deep sense of spirituality and connection to God. And, um, and so, but I do think that those, I think it was a wonderful experience, but I also had those, those experiences that I mentioned, I think fed into 
kind of the trajectory that I took as I got older, if that makes sense. Um, and so, yeah. Why don't you tell us when you Yeah, that, that is a good, uh, a good point to, to switch over to Matt. Yeah, Cause then is. when we come back to you, Laura, we can talk about the switch, the switch. Yeah. yeah. Matt, yeah. let's hear it. Yeah. So were you born of goodly parents? <laughs> I, I was born of goodly parents. Um, I'm also large in stature, so we. <laughs> um, I, I didn't want to risk calling you fat, so thank you for. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, born and raised in the church. Uh, Mom and dad were also born and raised in the church, so yeah, nothing, nothing too exciting there. My, I was an Air Force, you know, military brat, and so we moved around everywhere when I was young. Um, but my dad retired up here in Northern Utah when I was in second grade. So from second grade on, I'm pretty much just a Utah Mormon, <laughs> but I do come from a long line of members of the church. So it's kind of interesting. We figured this out just what a couple of years ago that if you look on the church's website of the history of the church, early missionary work, um, you can see some of my ancestry. So it's under American Indians, American Indians, like yeah. in the church history topic. Mm-hmm. So, like to cover the controversial topic of like American Indians, his 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 great great grandfather's mentioned in there because yeah. he's a quarter Native American. Yes. Oh, okay. So your great great grandfather was Native American. Yes. Yeah, he was actually the. You can read about it. Uh, it mentions the the Catawba tribe. Um, in South Carolina, and that's uh, my tribe. So my my great great grandfather was the chief of the tribe, actually. Wow, in uh, South Carolina. Yeah. So was this? Uh, I uh, this is I love this history stuff. It's so much fun. Did he find the church through missionaries that went to South Carolina? Yes. Wow, and that was that missionaries coming from Utah. Probably they, and they baptized almost the entire tribe is this, is the, is the story that is told and that is, that's mentioned on there. And then his name was, well, I guess we don't, we just told you where you can find it, but (laughs) it's Samuel Taylor Blue. And yeah. And he spoke at, um, general conference. They show, share like a quote from his address there on just how he came to have a testimony of. Um, right. Church wow. and, and he had like the whole tribe gather around and listen to the missionaries and stuff. And Matt, you just figured found this out a couple of years ago. Well, I knew that history, but I just found okay. out that it was mentioned in. I found the, it on the church on the church's <laughs> website. So pretty cool. Wow. wow okay. That's really that's, cool. Yeah, that's neat. That's neat. So, so not pioneer heritage, but at least we go way back. You so. do have pioneer heritage on your mom's side. Yeah, right? just not a long line of. Yeah, both yeah. sides, I guess. Right, yeah. Right, okay. Um, but yeah, pretty normal childhood. Um, made made the right choices for the most part, I guess, if you would consider whatever. Yeah, quote unquote, what the right choices are. <laughs> right. Well, we have, yeah. to, we have to do a, a litmus test yeah. of just how LDS your family was. Did you, when you went on vacation, did you go to church? No. Okay. Cool. Did you have... Caffeine in the house. Yes. 
Okay. All right. All right. I could dig with this family. This is good. <laughs> we, we occasionally went to KFC on Sunday. So, hey, if that's a measure. Right. Right. And wait, and you're still active? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about, yeah, your, your, how, what the church meant to you growing up. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was just life. I mean, all the neighbors and, and friends and, uh, we're all members, you know, seminary crowd. And, um, I was a choir boy too, you know? And so, um, yeah, it was just life. I mean, in this culture, you just live it, you know, you have your, your midweek activity and your weekend activities and your camps. And so, yeah, it meant a lot to me growing up. So if you're a choir boy and knowing about what age you are, were you one of the stars of the road shows growing up? We did do road shows. Yes. I miss the road shows. I'll be honest. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Right after high school, went on my mission. And that's kind of where Laura and my stories converged. So you went to Texas? Is that? I did. Okay. Okay. Uh-oh. So maybe I, I let's see something. Let's here. shift then. Let's go to Laura and okay. let's, let's have you talk a little bit about that or leading okay. up to it. Yeah. So about the time that we changed churches, we went to a Bible church much um, less. Like I would say we moved quite a ways from the, from the conservative branch to a more definitely moderate branch. So less, you know, focus on like works and legalism and a lot more just, um, just grace and, uh, and then, so there were some, you know, kind of doctrinal and theology, theology changes that I was learning about and going through. And then I felt like, okay, so the first time I ever remember hearing about the Mormon church, we were driving down the road in my hometown and, um, my sister pointed out the window and said that where my voice teacher goes to church that's where my recital is going to be and my mom looked out the window and she said that's where she goes to church you are not singing in that church and I looked out the window and I was like what are they doing in there (laughs) (laughs) is there animal sacrifice like my curiosity was peaked for sure those stopped in the 80s (laughs) I'm kidding keep going um and then I went on to high school and I guess I kind of feel like I was a little bombarded by Mormons in high school. Like I, all the boys we hung out with, all of our guy friends were Mormon. Um, and my, I started taking voice from the same voice teacher. I love her dearly still. And, um, and yeah, as soon as I started dating one of the Mormon boys, though, things got really interesting. Like I'd never had a curfew before and all of a sudden I had a curfew. And, um, within a few weeks of me starting to date him, I was, um, we went to an anti-Mormon conference, if you will. I don't know what you'd call it exactly, but it was like a, it was a night at a Bible church, not the one I attended, but another one where they had this Christian apologist come and talk about how wrong and evil the Mormons were. Um, So he definitely didn't use the word evil, but uh, it was, um, 
uh, one of the there was this whole thing where he went through just different random quotes and pulled them out and was and you went through and you found out that eventually the angel Mormon, the angel Moroni was Satan. Like that was his mm, definition. That was the big conclusion. Right. That was the conclusion of the meeting. Like you went through this whole kind of process with him and um and that was the thing was and that is who they put on the top of the temples. And so they worship Satan in the temples was basically like the message that you got from the night. And I was super intrigued. I took extensive notes. I still have the journal that I wrote these notes in from that night. I was like fascinated because I'm dating this guy and I'm going to save him and I'm going to like help him and find Jesus and like really be good. Right. And, um, and he was thinking the same thing about you. Yeah, sure he was. And, um, and so the, the big thing I remember from that night was he said, Whatever you do, don't read the Book of Mormon. And whatever you do, don't pray about it. And my like radar went up. I was so just like prayer for inspiration and prayer for comfort. And um, I don't know anybody who prays like my mom does. Like if you need prayers, Alan and Katie, you text me and my mom will put you on her list and you will be <laughs> prayed for by me every day. And then she will ask me in two or three days how you're doing. Like, like we pray and I, um, prayer was just a huge part of my life. And so I just remember thinking, who is this guy to tell me not to pray about anything? And it really, it, it really stuck out to me. And I, and I, I think that was the first moment where I was like, maybe this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I was intrigued. Like I was such a weird teenager. Like um, I wanted to read everything I could find about the church. I had like a stack of anti books, like the God makers and the Mormon Mirage. And like this other book that was just like about a bunch of cults. Sorry to use that word, everyone. It's okay. It's going to be okay. I <laughs> don't worry about the word and just, it, and where Mormons were just like a chapter in it. And yeah, that's I how they were talked about. Yeah. Yeah, I read everything I could get my hands on. And I started asking my voice teacher questions during our lessons. And um, these guys that we hung out with were like, great guys. They were so they were just good boys. And I was like, why do I have a curfew now? Like, what? I, I was so just like, it was really confusing to me, um, the way that the church was portrayed, and then the way that I was seeing the people that I was around live. And so um, I do remember telling my voice teacher that um, we thought that she wasn't a Christian or something. I can't remember exactly what I said, if it was like something about the conference or something that I'd read. And she just like bore her testimony to me. And it was really powerful to me. And I um, really felt like I, I felt the Holy Spirit. And I was like, listen, these people are wrong. Like, these are Christians, like they love Jesus and maybe it's different, but like, um, and I, at that moment, I remember just like a switch kind of turning off where I felt like I couldn't trust, I couldn't trust like the, the message I was getting from the church leaders I had and et cetera. I asked her for a copy of the Book of Mormon and she gave it to me and I read it alongside my anti-Mormon books and, uh -huh. um, <laughs> And then, you know, I was just like living my teenager life. I, I read, I read most of it a couple times, like 
um, not like a novel, but I went through it and like took notes and I was like writing stuff in the margins about how wrong it was and things like that. And then, um, and then, um, I went to college at Baylor University, which is in Waco, Texas, big Baptist school, if you are familiar. And, uh, you have religion classes that are required there. And I was taking an intro to the New Testament class. And I also, over the summer, had kind of become introduced to a couple of just like kind of deep theology issues in the Bible church we were attending. Um, I don't know how into that we want to get. But one thing in particular that was really concerning to me was just this idea of predestination and that God like created some people to be saved and some people to be damned. And it would just felt so contrary to my belief and the God that I knew. Um, I was really just battling with that. I went to the bookstore and got some books from Christian theologists on it. And I still have those downstairs. And, um, and then I went to that New Testament class and I learned a lot about how the New Testament was compiled and just how political the process was and all of these different apocryphal texts and why weren't those included. And yeah, I, I had a, I had a mini faith crisis, if you will. I just felt like I can't, I can't trust what I've heard. I, I had a very literal, I'm not sure if it's how it was taught to me or how I in, internalized it, but my understanding of the Bible was very literal, extremely literal. Like I was reciting Bible stories when I was like three. <laughs> it yeah. was just such a huge part of my life. And so, um, and I really had this idea of just like God, this, you know, kind of Nostradamus God speaking to a prophet and he's like kind of transfixed and then writing something down. That was how it, that was how I had kind of made sense of it in my head. And so hearing this about the New Testament was really upsetting to me. Um, and I just, I felt like my trust in the people that had taught me was kind of trapped. And so, um, the guy that I was dating pretty seriously at that point, um, convinced me to stop reading the anti-books and to just read the Book of Mormon. And I did that. And um, this was about the time that he was leaving to go on his mission. And um, yeah, I remember I hunkered down in my dorm room with a bag of Dove chocolates and was reading in Third Nephi. And I was like, holy cow, I think this is true. And just really praying about it and feeling like this like overwhelming spiritual experience, but also this kind of sense of like impending doom. Like I am about to like have to ruin my whole life. Um, then I called the member referral line from a commercial, <laughs> like, there was, like a <laughs> referral line. And I was like, I wanted to talk to some missionaries and you had to like put in your, it was like for members to refer people to the missionaries. And so you had to put in like a ward number and I was just like entering random numbers. And, um, and then a few days later, my dorm roommate was like a sister, somebody called and let handed me the message. And I kid you not y'all, the sister missionaries phone number prefix was six, six, (laughs) six. Come on people. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to call. <laughs> um, it was super just like, I don't, I don't think I can do this. 
and I think I held on to it for a week or two. And um, by this time, I was just like devouring anything I could get. I don't know where I got a copy of A Marvelous Work and a Wonder, but I was reading that and I was just super intrigued. And so I called the number and they said, oh, you're actually in the elders area. And I went through a lesson or two. And then this tall, lanky missionary, Elder Hunter, got transferred in. Okay, I think that that's that's your cue, Elder Hunter, to um, tell us how the next part goes. It is, yeah. So, so this was this was about halfway through my mission at this point. So I was I was called to the uh, San Antonio, Texas mission, and we went all the way up to Waco, and I got transferred in there. My companion wasn't the the best communicator. Turns out we actually missed the first appointment with Laura. <laughs> which I didn't know until the day after. So we oh, stood her up. So that was a good way to start it off. Right. Um, but yeah, we finally met. Um, I think that we hit it off pretty well, um, pretty quick, but I quickly um, discovered that she was not going to be um, an easy investigator, as we called them back then. Um, <laughs> this was This was back in the days of the, six discussions oh yeah oh yeah memorize yep. i didn't let him do those by yeah. the way yeah yeah <laughs> yeah this was this was the days when you when you memorized yeah the six discussions and made made their words become yours right mm-hmm. and so you had a, a script that you would stick to and at least try to and that didn't work very well for me most of the time so <laughs> <laughs> the discussions usually ended up veering off into some some deep discussion about eternal progression or polygamy or tithing or, you know, why the doctrine and covenants is different than the book of Mormon and all that stuff. So, um, right. Cause to Laura's, um, and Laura's defense, she had done their homework. Like she had already been doing all the deep dive theology and book of Mormon studying. And so that's very different than coming to someone who was fresh, never, never had anything Yes. Yes, very much so. Yeah, and and being called to serve in the in the Bible Belt, um the buckle of the Bible Belt in Texas. <laughs> um you know, I, I I was fairly well versed in in answering questions about you know, what we would call anti-literature back then, you know. There were whole congregations that would have, you know, these seminars about Mormons and how they were wrong and they would say when the missionaries come say this to them you know and so it was i i thought i was pretty well versed in answering those questions but laura definitely challenged me (laughs) i found the i i have like a box with all my notes and stuff from that time and just found like a lot of the like questions i'd written down and i had this one time do you remember when i came with like i had mapped out like the lds version of the plan of salvation and like how i'd grown up knowing it and i was like break this down for me tell me and i like wanted him to like yeah and i'm like i'm still on the first discussion (laughs) (laughs) so we believe in a loving heavenly father yeah Um, and uh yeah so it wasn't it wasn't easy but it was definitely interesting and she was definitely engaged and and interested, but, um, really was not about to commit to baptism. Um, even though she had this at least beginning of a testimony of the Book of Mormon 
um, and had read it, what, several times at that point? Two and a half. Yeah. Which is not normal for an investigator also. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, as we, as we would slowly get through the discussions, you know, um, after several visits, um, you know, we, we were, why, why will you not get baptized if you believe this to be true? Right. But there were too many unanswered questions, you know, in Laura's mind. And so she wasn't willing to commit to baptism, uh, understandably. And after meeting how many times, a lot of times, <laughs> um, I finally just, uh, just sat her down and, and said, what will you pray just specifically about getting baptized? And, um, and she did. And I called him the next day and I was like, okay, I'm ready. And that was a Thursday. And I think I'd only actually technically been through three discussions, even though we'd met like probably like a dozen times or something by then. So they came and taught me the last three discussions really quickly. And he was like, I, I know you have more questions, but I just have to get through these. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I was baptized that Sunday. Yeah. And so this is 1998. Yeah. And so it was quick. The last little bit there was, was pretty fast. Um, and I mean, still to this day, I think that Laura was one of the main reasons I was called Sir Dick, you know, seemed to. He work. sent a letter home unbeknownst to me. And so like a couple of years later to his family with a picture from my baptism and a line in the letter that said, this is your part. You oh, <laughs> I, I just said, I think Laura is the reason. I came to Texas and, uh, and seeing the picture and, and seeing me write that phrase, my, my parents, you know, antenna went up pretty quick and they're like, uh, <laughs> 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 no, but we were, yeah, I think they knew we were, um, destined for connection before either of us even remotely had it on our radar yeah. at all. Yeah. We were good though. I had a, I had a girl waiting for me back home. She had her boyfriend that was on his mission. And so we only dated on two days, right? <laughs> <laughs> no dating at all. Um, yeah, I was, I was pretty set on my missionary that was in Spain. And, um, and so I, he was not, uh, on my radar at all. Yes. He was in España. In España. <laughs> what a loser. <laughs> <laughs> Years before y'all, though, right? Yeah, we were yeah. 02 to 04. Yeah, yeah, so we're old. Um, <laughs> so, okay, you you get baptized, and what is the general feeling from your family? It's not good. It was not a good feeling at all. Um, and I knew that, but it. Um, um, it was really hard. And I, looking back, I, I have so much empathy for, um, my family and what that must have felt like. Um, you know, it's hindsight 2020. And so I, um, it was really hard. There was a lot of, um, a lot of contention, um, one of my 
very close family members didn't speak to me for six months. And, um, and when they did start talking to me again, it was super aggressive and just really like, um, angry and challenging and, um, like you're following Satan and you're doing the wrong thing. And, you know, just so much, that was the tone of all of those conversations. And, um, and yeah, as I mentioned, my, my mom's amazing. And I, I don't, I, I really understand kind of looking back on it, why she felt the way that she did. And, um, but it was really hard. She pulled me out of Baylor and I was apparently not taking advantage of the Christian environment. And then, um, I moved and to the University of North Texas. So that was like two missions away from, from him. And he understandably was super worried because, um, my family was not happy at all. My dad wasn't thrilled either, but for very different reasons than like my, um, my mom and my, so Matt was like really worried and he was like, will you write me and let me know how you're doing? And so I wrote him like once a week and y'all, I'm just kind of an intense person. I was writing my missionary every single day because I'm super chill all the time. Like I wrote him a letter every day. So (laughs) when I wrote, (laughs) I journaled every day. I wrote my missionary every day. I was, I, I'm just, like when I do something, I like really do it. <laughs> and um, so I was writing that once a week. And so I think people hear that and think, oh, it was so romantic. It wasn't. And that wasn't, it just wasn't a big deal to me because that's just kind of, you know, I wrote him and let him know how the insane singles ward was that I had moved to. I moved to North Texas and into this singles ward. And I was like, just totally unprepared for the culture shock and the meat market environment. And the like, you know, guys just like showing up at my apartment with cheesecakes and like marriage proposals. And I was like, I, what, who are you people? Like, and it was so much, like, I felt like I was kind of an intense person and, and really committed to my faith, but just this like, okay, so you come to the church on Monday for this, and then you're going to come for this, and then we want you to be in the choir, and then we want you to do this and this. And, um, and I remember just feeling so overwhelmed and it felt like everything meant something different. Um, like the vocabulary was different. And, you know, I was like, I'm in Texas and I just like walk into this building and everyone is like, seeking a different it's like you went to a different country to me almost the way the culture was a shock for sure I felt like so my family was not thrilled at all um and so that led to some really difficult conversations lots of angry fighting I said things that I I totally regret there was a lot of you know as, assuming that I had just done this for my boyfriend that was insane and um which was super hurtful to me after I had, you know, felt like I put so much just like spiritual time and energy and devotion into trying to figure out what was right. I look back at that box and I just like want to hug my 20 year old self because I was so conflicted on what to do. And um, like I have always written my prayers down and I was like, God, I don't know what to do. Like if I do this, then my family's going to hate me. And I feel like this is true, but I, I don't know. And I would write down all my questions and um, I just felt like I tried so hard and it just wasn't enough for anybody really. Um, 
And then, yeah, I ended up sending a dear John to my missionary in Spain. And that's a whole other story. But <laughs> <laughs> And then Matt finished his mission about almost a year after I was baptized. Yeah, I had my my girlfriend that waited for me. We broke up like three weeks after I got back. <laughs> wow. That you was broke fast. up two weeks after you got back. Holy cow. <laughs> and yeah. so Matt, like what and then you were like, Oh, and I'm home and I'm broken up with my girlfriend and I'm gonna call Laura. How did that work? Yeah. Strangely enough, um Laura was at least partially responsible for why we broke up. I am offended. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, you should be proud, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I, uh, she was just, uh, my girlfriend was, was just kind of ready to get married and I was, I was not about that. Um, well, your parents came down to get you off your mission and met me. Right. And they were, I didn't know it at the time, but I think his dad was like, thought that I was the girl for him. Yeah. And I was, so yeah, my, my parents did come down to get me on my mission, which I guess is not kosher nowadays, but, um, kind of traveled around the mission with me, met a lot of people that I thought. They um, took me to dinner and he was like super awkward. And I was like, what is with this guy? He like won't talk to me or look at me or anything. You know how missionaries are. Yeah. They like don't know what to do with themselves. Yeah. And, but his parents are like the sweetest, kindest. Oh my goodness, we talked forever and his dad was like, here's his email address and like trying to like get us to stay in touch or whatever. And, um, and so, yeah, I don't think either of us realized it at the time, but he was totally setting us up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm grateful for. But yeah, when, when, when I got home and, and, you know, my girlfriend and I had just grown apart over those two years, even though we kept in contact with letters, you know, you changed over two years. And so. Um, I, I did keep talking about this girl, Laura, and how how well she was doing, and we were emailing each other, and and there was definitely a little bit of jealousy there, and perhaps a little ultimatum, you know, given. Um, <laughs> and and I was like, well, okay, and and anyway, that was kind of the start of the end of that relationship, and then yeah, once we were both single. Uh, I think things changed a little bit, although it was mostly through emails in the beginning. And then this was back, back in the day before there was free long distance and cell phones and all that jazz. And so. And I didn't have internet at my apartment. I had to go to the computer lab to email him. And so then it became four hour phone calls every night and like $400 a month phone bills. Oh my. <laughs> Who's flipping that bill? Is this your parents? I hope you send it to them. Yeah, yeah. it was your it was your dad, our yeah. pimp. Your mom and dad. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> he, he paid the bill. Um yeah, for the most part. I, I do remember paying some bills on my side too, but he definitely footed most of it, I think. Yeah. And with the time difference it was hard because Laura had early classes and I worked late. And so we would usually talk until Laura fell asleep. And then I would hang up the phone and then she would call back in the morning and say, I'm sorry. I don't know what you said that last little while. <laughs> yeah. And then we, um, we got married really quickly. Like, um, he, I was 
um, super, super reticent to get involved um, when he lived so far away. But I mean, within a couple months, he proposed and then we were married. So he got off his mission in November of 99 and we were married in July of 2000. I moved to Utah um, a week before we were married in the Bountiful Temple. It, it sounds weird, but we we did visit each other several times. <laughs> you know what? It, Honestly, it's very similar. It's it, very it mirrors similar. our story. I mean, that's. Well, I was in California. She was in yeah. Utah. And you got home in June. I we got, got home in June. We got, we got married, married in December. We moved to Utah. Yeah, very similar. Yeah. 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 It was kind of a. It was an interesting, but it was a really. I think it was a really great courtship because we we really fell in love with each other without even really going on our first date or kissing each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think my first visit down there was Valentine's day that February. I flew down for a few days and then Laura flew up yeah. a couple different times. And then I went down there yeah. to move you up basically. So, <laughs> yeah. And so that was 21 years ago. <laughs> wow. Um, and, and tell me, was it really hard to convince your family, Laura, that this was a good idea to get married to this guy who baptized you running away to Utah? A lot of hostility. Most of my family kind of, if you like watch our wedding video, it, it feels like a funeral. Yeah. And I, you know, looking back, I totally understand. I yeah. was across the country and I was, you know, I, and I joined a cult in, in their, in their view. And, um, and I was gonna, yeah, I was leaving them forever and is what that felt like. I'm sure. And so I, I feel, I feel so much empathy for my family. Um, and, and they I, couldn't be there in the temple with you. Right. Oh, they couldn't. And that honestly, like, kills me. It, um, it kills me now. And it, um, it was hard then. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I almost broke it off because of the temple. Um, and I did. I said, I, I can't do this. I can't marry you. And he kind of talked to me through it. I was just really, I was really worried about the temple a lot. And, and yeah, that was, it was really challenging, very difficult. I could tell you 50 stories, but we won't get into those. Right. That. And well, then, this... you know, we had a baby pretty quick and grandchildren heal many wounds. So, <laughs> <laughs> so right. yeah. And then my mom is, she's such a gracious person. And so I, it, there's always been, you know, a strain there, but like she, came and sang in our church a handful of times at our ward, like, um, eventually. And so, um, it took a lot of years to kind of build bridges there and make progress with that, I think. But, um, but she really is such a, um, just like understanding and compassionate person that, um, our relationship eventually became more important than all the differences. and. Um, and I'm grateful for that. It took a long time, but yeah. yeah. And I think that once Laura's family saw that we weren't living like Satan worshippers, 
and that we were having these, you know, beautiful grandchildren and, and our lives were happy and Christ filled and normal. I think that um, broke down some walls to help. Yeah, that's great. That, I'm glad that it, that it ha- ended up happening. It doesn't always, and yeah, I, I'm reminded of in week one of, of the course with Natasha. I know that you've done the go at your own pace version of that. Natasha yeah. talks about it. It's just a fascinating concept of, you know, you, you look at, at the two different sides of how, how a, a church like the, the LDS church welcomes people in. And they're heroes when they join. And oh my goodness, this is so great. But then on the other side, there's, there's a faith community that's mourning the loss of someone leaving. And oftentimes you've been betrayed and you've, and missionaries even will warn the, 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 the investigator, as you put it, Matt. I, we served in the days where investigator was the term, mm-hmm. yeah. but you would warn. Yeah. I mean, you would warn people to say, look, this is going to happen. Your family's not going to understand. Um, it's sometimes we would go as far as saying like this, this is Satan trying to stop you, but then, you know, completely the opposite thing. If someone in the LDS church leaves uh, and goes to a different faith, the opposite is happening. They're being welcomed to the new faith as, as a hero and the, the well done, you know, sweet child, that's not the term, but well, well done. And I think that just kind of stepping back and, and recognizing that, uh, that there are tribal dynamics at play, both good and bad, um, can really help. I, I never thought about my grandmother, for example, who never was LDS, um, sitting outside the temple for six weddings of, of her grandchildren. And I never once until after she died, thought, oh my gosh, that must have been hard. I never thought about it. You said that you had a kid pretty quick after you got married and you did. I'm looking actually at a really beautiful picture of your family and I don't Facebook, know. Public Facebook poster Yes, uh, <laughs> picture. Yes. Nothing weird. Uh, anyway, but I don't know how, if this even has to do with like your part of your shift if, if even if it doesn't, I would love for you to maybe talk just for a couple minutes about how you got all your kiddos here in your family. Okay, yeah, um, it does. I think it played it played part for me for sure. Um, so we had um, our son and then two daughters um, biologically, and we're just kind of living the dream. Uh, it was about our fifteenth anniversary. We went to Hawaii, and we both had. Um, just separate spiritual promptings that we were supposed to adopt and it neither of us talked to each other about it we both kind of just held on to it because I was like we had all these plans for things we were going to do and serve a mission and all this and you know Matt was going to retire early and we were going to travel and um and so I was really hesitant to say anything and he knew I would be doing the lion's share of the work so he didn't want to be like so I think you're supposed to raise another baby. Right, right. <laughs> and I brought it up to him one day and um and he was like, Me too. And it was kind of incredible. And um and so we went through a very long and arduous saga that could be a whole separate podcast episode about yeah. how we got um we went in to adopt one um child and we got three. Um and uh 
at the same time? Mm-hmm. Well, they, so, um, no, <laughs> they, uh, they placed two sisters with us and, um, we, we became, we became licensed foster parents is what happened. And we looked into, we, we learned that there's like a really significant need for Native American foster families, um, because of a specific federal law that makes it really crazy. And because of, because Matt is technically Native American, we were able to provide a home for Native children. And so they brought us two little girls who were half Navajo. And at this point, our son was like, really? They're all girls? Like, there's so many girls here. (laughs) It was like, I was just thinking maybe we would get a boy. (laughs) They were really excited to get younger siblings. And um, so we got the two little girls. And yeah, um, they're were a lot of things that happened during that that totally just changed me that I I think I was a pretty black and white thinker before that bio mom got pregnant the month that the older two daughters were placed with us and so um we knew there was a likelihood that the baby would be placed with us when she was born also a girl and there were some things actually that really just kind of happened that made me see how just judgmental I was and how pharisaical I was. I don't know, like a Pharisee and just my actions, I think, and expecting um, people to meet a certain criteria. I think there was one of my most embarrassing moments in life was when their bio mom was meeting with the missionaries and decided to get baptized. And I was like, she cannot do that. Like I knew all the stuff she was doing wrong. And I knew all the things she'd done wrong to these children that I was taking care of every day. And I was outraged. Like I was outraged that she was doing this. And, um, it took me, you know, I have lots of journals where I'm just writing down and realizing, wow, is there like a standard of morality here? And it actually kind of got me thinking because I was like, why do we have like a baptismal interview or a temple recommend interview? Isn't Jesus for everybody? Isn't he for like the sinners, like every like real sinner? Like, does she have to meet some sort of criteria before she can come to Jesus? So, yeah, I do think that was a little bit of a crack in my armor was that just experience watching, watching people struggle in their lives in really significant ways and, um, and how judgmental I'd been beforehand, I think. Um, and then just trying to parent children who'd been through trauma and had big issues. So then she had the baby, they let her keep the baby, and um, we were kind of a mess. It looked like the girls were going to go back, and um, the older two girls, it looked like they were going to go back to their bio parents. And I knew just from experience that it wasn't a healthy situation, but there was nothing I could do to like prove that. And we have, we have fostered them for over a year at this point. Wow. Um, which is like Laura said, it's a whole other story. Foster care is no joke. Um, <laughs> it's not. And we were, I mean, we were introduced to a world that, we didn't know it existed, I guess you hear about on the movies. And like Laura said, it, it was, it was eye opening for both of us just to kind of try to seek forgiveness, show grace for the, the, the bio parents that, um, had traumatized these little girls that we love so much. Um, yeah. but yeah. And I think that 
there was a really crazy day that is kind of a good like example of just our personalities. And I think even maybe how we handled my faith crisis later on, because the day there was a day before we were going to go to court and no one was talking to me. The caseworker wouldn't talk to me. I finally called this worker and I was like, what is going on? And he said, it looks like they're going to send the girls home tomorrow. Like, and I was like, like, they're going to leave tomorrow. And he said they could, that's what they're recommending. And I was a mess. Like I was a mess. We were going to lose them that day. And I had seen things happening with the bio parents that I knew weren't safe. I was super worried. And we were in Matt and I were showing, we own a rental home and we were doing showings and people were coming through when I got this phone call from this guy. And I was like sitting on a chair, shaking and crying. And Matt was like, look at our kitchen. And I was like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Have you no soul, man? Like I just couldn't even like believe he could like show our home when we just found out we were losing our kids the next day. And, um, and, uh, (laughs) and then like, not even an hour later, I got a call from the caseworker and she said, something's happened. We need you to take the baby. And two hours later, they brought me the baby sister and, and they, and then like, yeah, that started, that was the beginning of the end for the opportunity for them to go back to their bio family, which is a tragedy. I mean, it's the loss of a, of a family, you know, it's, it was a huge blessing and miracle. I think because our girls are safe now and have a healthy way to live, but it, it is a tragedy that that family broke down. And, um, and so then, you know, with six months later, we adopted all three of them all together. And then um, they were all, um, yeah, we were a forever family, if you will, with one son and five daughters. And, um, we got sealed in the temple, what, three, four days after we, we did. adopted yeah. them. So. We did. You know what? I just really admire you. Alan and I went and saw that movie Instant Family in the theaters. <laughs> And we watched it and it was just so you could, you could see the struggle. You could see the, you know, the wins. And when it was, when it was over, we were both crying and Alan's like, maybe we could do this. Maybe we could be a foster family. We, then we went home and the next day, the it was a wild day with the kids and Alan's like, forget it. Forget what I said <laughs> that, that this is not for us, but you know, that movie did a good job of like really putting it into our hearts that, Foster families are just so um, needed and special for these kiddos that, you know, that are in just the most horrible situations. I agree. I still have days like that for the record. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I can do this, but I'm in it to win it now. So, um, yeah, it is. Um, it's intense. And we love that movie. I think it gives a, a good and humorous picture, but it's pretty. It's fairly it, accurate. It addresses a lot of a lot of what it's like. Right. Um, sure. And so that definitely, I think that experience definitely shifted me some. And um, I, I, I think I became a lot more, I think I was always pretty nuanced, but. This was about what, three and a half, four years ago. Yeah. We adopted the girls in 2017 is when that happened. And then, um, yeah, we were just kind of, we, I wouldn't say our family was ever like orthodox, 
because I always was sort of nuanced, I think, because of my upbringing, if you will. Um, but we were like totally all in. Like I said, if I do something, I do it all the way. Right. <laughs> I have no chip. Right. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. And I think I definitely had a really kind of love hate relationship with the structure of the church because that experience with the exorcism when I was a young teen, I think was really frightening for me. And so the structure of the church felt comforting in some respect, if you will, like this, this is how it is. But I was constantly coming home and like, Oh my gosh, why, why is this a rule? Why do we have to do this? Why, why, why is this instrument okay? And this one's not. And why is it like this? And, um, yeah. Or Matt was always like, I don't, I don't know why Laura. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I never like really accepted things at face value that it felt unnecessarily strict to me. Right. Right. And we were probably known in our ward, at least, for kind of having more nuanced beliefs, especially with Laura's background. I was in the bishopric. I got called in the bishopric during the, was it during, while we were fostering? Uh, after we'd adopted, right after we adopted. Right after we adopted. Got called in the bishopric, and we were, we were kind of on our peak kind of spiritual life at that point, I think. But even then, I think we were, we had a little, a little more nuanced beliefs, I think, in our home more than more than most uh, most most true blue Mormons, right? Yeah, um, for sure. We would kind of get into it sometimes with people about things like grace, grace, you know, works versus grace, and <laughs> I've always been pretty mouthy, so and I, I was I would kind of call people out sometimes. It really there were things that bothered me uh, often, just comments people would make. Um, the exclusionary vision of like, this is the only one way and um, having so many people that I love being, being just like faithful, beautiful, amazing Christians or even not. I was like, what? It, it always, that was always a frustration to me. Yeah. Sure. Uh, my, my niece is, what, what is she? She evangelical? What niece? Carly. Oh, that niece. I was thinking on your side. I'm like, who are you talking about? I don't know, actually. Am I, am I a bad uncle for not knowing? Anyway, uh, we went to her bridal shower and, you know, like Mormon bridal showers are different. It's like it's I've been to so many Mormon bridal showers where they're like, OK, pull out the lingerie. Let's like get all the stuff because, you know, anyway. So before we go to her bridal shower, she said, Hey, could you not bring any of that stuff? Because I wouldn't want to offend my grandmother who's going to be at this bridal shower. It's going to be very traditional. And so we were like, Oh, okay. So we get there. And the first thing they do is like read from the Bible and me and, and everyone else were like, Oh my gosh, we were feeling really bad. And then, um, <laughs> and then we, we go through the bridal shower and, um, it just is just so beautiful in the prayers and the singing. And, and I left feeling like I am the worst Christian ever. <laughs> she is a better Christian than I am. And you just, unless you're exposed to that, you wouldn't really know because we're kind of just in this bubble, right? Or if you hadn't right. been a missionary, you probably wouldn't have known that either. Yeah. So I really relate to that. You know, I, I think that 
we're going to make this a two-parter. We are. I, honestly, I I wouldn't have wanted you to not share anything. Let's see if this sentence comes out right. I'm glad you shared everything you shared. <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, what we would love to do is bring Matt and Laura back for a a second part uh, to be able to get into, okay, we've set up the family. We know how they met. We, Laura, we know your background. Would love to get to to the next section of a little bit more about your your marriage leading up to now. It just seems about a year ago when when uh, the rubber hits the road uh, for for Laura, and we can spend another forty five to sixty minutes on that in part two. What do you think? Are you willing? Are you willing to come back with us? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thanks for having us. Sorry, we're so mouthy and verbose. No, not at all. <laughs> not it's, at it's all. It's very, very good stuff. Okay. So we will see you all soon on part two. When it's done, we're going to see that it was better that we grew up together. Tell me you don't want to leave because if change is what you need, you can change right next to me. When you're high, I'll take the lows You can ebb and I can flow We'll take it slow And grow as we go Grow as we go Grow as we go go.